work in your Bibles. And we're going to the book of Ephesians, as you already know. And um, the title of this morning's message is The Perfect Man. And I remember Josiah actually preached a message on this. I didn't steal his notes, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Although I probably would do better if I did. But anyway, we leave that for this morning. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going through Ephesians, and uh, we're just going to go through the whole book, and this is where we are today. And I, I know we spoke a little bit about this last week, but I want to deal with it a bit more because there's some there's wonderful, wonderful things. I, I, I went through half this passage, if you like, last last Sunday, but I want to deal with the rest of it today, and I want to deal with it again because I, I, I didn't want to skip over it. See, last week we spoke about the call to unity. And we spoke about what we can do to promote unity in our church. I think it's really important to have unity within the church. Do you think there is a good deal of unity? I think we could have more. I think we could do more. I really do. We need the right attitude, we said. We need to be to put on in the effort. We need to follow God's plan if we're going to have unity in the church. We saw that in the scriptures. It requires humility of mind. It requires patience. It requires leadership. It requires following God's plan as God has given it to his church. Ephesians 4 verse 11 to 14. We saw that last week. Now that was last week, but today I want to talk about uh, something else. And I want to be really candid with you this morning. I'm never like that, am I? Sometimes the leadership of the church can let us down badly. Is that true? It might be moral failure. May not be. It might be preaching heresy. May not be. But I believe the biggest problem in the leadership in our churches is that we're not doing what we ought to be doing. We're not emphasizing what we ought to be emphasizing. We're not focused on that which is the most important. So often churches are trying to meet perceived needs rather than real needs. They're trying to give the people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And people choose churches like choosing restaurants because they get their favorite meal there. It may not necessarily be what they need. It could be full of fries and all sort of bad stuff for them. But it tastes good. And church isn't that way. It's not meant to be that way. It's so easy to fall into that trap of giving people what they want to hear because people keep coming. But to be honest with you, every pastor, every servant of Jesus Christ in the ministry has to ask himself, what am I doing and why am I doing it? If the answer to that question is biblical, then we're all going to end up in the same direction. We're all going to end up with the same answer. And you know, the only biblical answer to what am I doing and why am I doing it is, I want to see Christ Jesus formed in every individual I have influence upon. That's the only biblical answer there is. And if we want that, then what we're looking for is a precious person to become a perfect man. A perfect man. The title of this morning's message is The Perfect Man. And we're going to talk about what that means. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. It says here, and he gave, he is the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, specifically. The Holy Spirit gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait, lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. May grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And that's a mouthful. So we're going to start <coughs> bringing that into little pieces that we can understand and start applying it to our lives. Let's go to the Lord of Prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word this morning. And I pray at the end of this message that your Holy Spirit will have so worked that each one in here would want to be a perfect man. Your word tells us that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. As your word says, he gave. And you gave those gifts so that everyone in the congregation can attain to the perfect Oh, Lord God, please help us. Please work in our hearts. Lord, help us have open hearts to what you want to say this morning. When you were on earth, you said, He that have ears to hear, let him hear. Let us want to hear what you have to say about this. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, first thing I want to share with you, number one, the perfect man is involved in discipleship. I think that's probably an obvious statement, but it's laid out in Scripture, verse 11. He, the Holy Spirit, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So in other words, so that the saints could be perfected, so that the work of the ministry can happen, in order for the whole body of Christ to be edified, verse 12, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The perfect man seeks to develop maturity in others. The word perfecting in verse 12 means to complete furnishing. It means complete furnishing. It means to repair. It means to adjust. It means to mend, to restore. So the end product is fresh. Ladies like to have a perfect house. The kids come along, they mess it up. Mommy comes along, she wants to fix it up, okay? And she wants everything in its place. Now, so that's, that's, the ladies like to do that. Men like to have their cars perfect. Anything wrong with the car, just a, a bump on it, they want to get it fixed. Or if there's, if there's something not quite right, they, they want to have it right, right because there's something within us that wants things fixed, that wants it right. We want to repair it. If the car is going, we, we know that the car needs to go to a shop and get fixed. It needs to be repaired, adjusted, mended. And that's what needs to happen in the life of every soul on earth. But in particularly Christians, they need to come to that place of perfection where they're growing. And it means this perfect man is, it, it brings the saints to a full age. It says, verse 13, that we all come in the unity of the faith of, and not to the Son of Man, unto a perfect, Son of God, sorry, unto a perfect man of mature age, full age, of completion, perfect in growth and moral character. So let's talk about this for a minute. Joseph was a perfect man. Joseph, the son of Jacob, was perfected by God while he was in prison in Egypt. Although he was sold by his brothers as a slave to the Midianites, 
Though he was maliciously accused of sin by Potiphar's wife, no public sin was recorded of him in the Bible. He was a perfect man. What does that mean? He had upright moral character. He was a just man. He was a perfect man. Daniel. Daniel was a man who was perfected by God in, in, in Babylon. Though he was stolen from his home in the land of Judah, he rose in wisdom and prominence so that he stood before at least four kings. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's son, not named, but Nabonidus. Then you got his, his, his grandson, Belteshazzar, and then Cyrus. So, and Darius, I think that's the same person, I think Darius is the title, but we'll leave that one for today. But the point is that, that, uh, that, that Daniel stood before four kings. And the other princes in, during the reign of the Persian king did not want Daniel to be given this honor. So they were looking for some fault in Daniel's life. They were looking to, they could, they, they could pick holes in his life. They were looking to find criticism in, in him. They were, they were looking for moral failure in Daniel and, 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 and an illegal man, someone who's doing something wrong. They couldn't find anything. Daniel was a perfect man. Now, I want to be clear this morning. Daniel and Joseph were sinners like you and I are. All had sinned to come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. But they were perfect men because they watched their testimony and they guarded their testimony. Oh, for more perfect men. Oh, for more perfect men who are very jealous about their testimony for their Lord. The perfect man seeks to develop spiritual maturity, but the perfect man also seeks to uh, get others serving. Look at verse 12. It says here, God gave those pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Okay? So they want other people serving. The pastoral leadership seeks to train others to do the work of the ministry. That's my job is to try and work myself out of a job. So when you see me sitting at home in a hammock five days a week and just turn up on Sunday to see somebody else preach, you know I've worked myself out of a job and I'm having a great time on my hammock, okay? But the point is, that's a bit of humor there, but the point is right, my job is to train other people to do the work of the ministry so that the whole body of, is, is edified, right? But that task of training people for the work of the ministry is not limited to the pastor. There is this clerical thing where you've got the clergy and the laity and the clergy's job is to train people for ministry and the, the laity and you just sit back and do nothing that is not biblical can you hear an amen to that amen. we're all clergy you're saved you're a part of it you're, you're, you're a priest you're a priestess you're a saint you're a child of the king you're a member of the body of Christ if you've joined a biblical New Testament church and your job is to be part of God's process. The maturing saints really should be helping in the process. Maturing saints look to the ministries of the church and they see holes and they say, okay, how can we plug this? What help does the children's ministries need? Can I help with that? What about the cleaning ministry? How many families are on the cleaning? Oh, wow. I think we could help out with that. I could help, help out so that, so that the families could do it less. That would be nice, wouldn't it? I think I heard an amen on that one. What happened about the evangelism and the visitation? You know, is there anybody that needs to be discipled? Is there anybody who needs to be visited? How can I help? That's, those are the words of the maturing Christian, the perfect man. 
The maturing saint works with pastoral leadership to help others mature so that they can take up positions in leadership. I was thinking the other day about a lady who came to our church a very long time ago, and she wanted to help, but she didn't, wasn't really too interested in what the pastor had to think about it. And she was trying to organize other people for the music ministry, and she wasn't even a member of the church. And she was doing it when I was preaching. She was up there talking to people, trying to get them to do stuff. I'm thinking, hold on a second. That's not how it works. It's meant you meant to work alongside the pastor, not behind the pastor's back, right? It works a whole lot better than that. But you know, the, but the perfect man wants to help. And the perfect man wants to be involved. And the perfect man wants to see, sees the holes and wants to be a blessing. I love people who can see needs and want to help out. You just have to do it the right way, right? I think Manchester United need help. I heard that Ter Ten Hag says that that, that the Man City is not going to win the treble. I'm just thinking, dream on, mister. And I'm not going to be able to help them. I'd like to help them, but I can't help them. I'm just going to follow sitting or something like that. <laughs> but the point is this. The point is this. You've got to work through the channels. You can't just get in there and say, hey, I have an idea. This is how we're going to do it now. You've got to work through the channels. The perfect man seeks to produce other perfect men. I've already mentioned that, but look at verse 12 and 13. For the perfecting, God gave pastors and teachers and all that group of people, all those gifts. For the perfecting of the saints, for the working, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith. Bringing others to maturity is hard work. I've given responsibility to some of our people. And on Wednesday night, we are doing discipleship class. You say, who goes on Wednesday night? I'll tell you who goes on Wednesday night. The people who want to see maturity. Amen. Who goes on a Wednesday night? The people who want to see discipleship happen. So we've given some responsibilities to other people to disciple other people. And those people are getting their hands dirty and they're getting stuck in. They think it's great. But it's not as easy as it seems at first. It takes commitment. And then sometimes you're working with somebody and you realize that person doesn't really want this. Because it's not easy. And sometimes to bring people to maturity, it requires patient instruction. They may not be ready to hear it now, but that might be ready for a few years down the road. Because people change, don't they? Aren't you glad you changed? I hope you are changing. We all need to change in some way or other. But it takes time. It takes investment of time. It takes patient instruction. You know, when you're discipling somebody else, you're investing yourself into that person. So a maturing Christian wants to mature others, and they're pouring their lives into that person. We see that in the sports area. We see it in the business area. We see it in the scientific area. We see it in the academic realm. Anybody who wants to help somebody else to become great, they, 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 and, and they're great in their field, they pour themselves into them, Right? Shouldn't Christians be doing the same thing? Isn't that what Christ did with his disciples? The twelve? Isn't that what the twelve did with, with their disciples? Okay, the eleven, but you get the point. You get the point. I think of Barnabas. John Mark was a, a quitter. He would have been a failure. Acts chapter 14 reports that John Mark went back to Jerusalem and, and instead of staying on task on Paul's first missionary journey, John Paul says, I don't want to quit her. I don't want anyone like that on my team. John Mark, or Barnabas says, but I believe in him. I think God can change people. 
and John Mark became a great success. You read the book of 2 Timothy, who was there? Paul said, bring Mark with you. He's, he is profitable. What a blessing. Why? Because Barnabas invested in John Mark's life. Think of, you know, as you read your Bible, as you read through the epistles, Paul's writings, you see your first and second Timothy, right? Paul invested in Timothy's life. Look at the book of Titus. Paul invested in the life of Titus. Two inspired letters Paul wrote to Timothy, full of instruction. I think uh, this is one of my favorites. Paul invested in Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila, Acts chapter 18 in Corinth, right? Paul invested in Priscilla and Aquila. Then they found Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila invested in Apollos. And then Apollos probably became the pastor of the Corinthian church. Remember Paul wrote in, the first Corinthian, in, in 1 Corinthians, I planted, who watered? Apollos. Isn't that amazing? Paul invested in, in two disciples. Those two disciples invested in Apollos. And Apollos now is watering the, the congregation, so to speak. Isn't that a blessing? That's what it's meant to be, brethren. Christianity is not a one-man show, and it's not a show for a few individuals to show off how good they are at anything. Christianity is all about a team effort. Amen. Everybody working together. And the perfect man wants that. You don't have to be a pastor to grow in Christ. Would you agree with that? You just need to be a mature Christian. Paul said this, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at St. Crea. I wonder if uh, Paul wanted to write a letter to the servant, one of the ladies who served Gospel Baptist Church. Who do you think he'd be writing to? You don't have to say a name out there. But wouldn't, what, wouldn't you want your name in there? Ladies. To a servant of Gospel Baptist Church. What a blessing. Brethren, this vision of the body of Christ working together for the glory of God as a team is missing so often in the body of Christ. So often parachurch organizations like CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, they take off because they're doing what churches are not doing. I'm thankful for CEF. I got saved through CEF. But why can't churches do what they're doing? Why can't churches have Christian kids camps? There is a church in Cork, amen? amen? And we can get involved in that. Why can't churches have men's camps? Oh, they do. And ladies' camps, they do. And ladies' days, they do. And run your own clubs. We shouldn't have to bring people from the outside to bring, run our clubs. And I've had offers. I said, we don't need to. Have people do it. They do it. Do you know what? It's one of the highlights of our year is running a kids' club. And we all do it together as a team effort. Sometimes we have more adults than kids, but we have a great time. But brethren, what happens is you've got parachurch organizations are doing what churches should be doing, and they're exciting, and they have the flair, and people want to be involved, and people go to those organizations and don't get involved in their churches because their churches aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're missing from their churches. When they should be involved in their churches, because their churches should be doing it. But you know what? For people in their churches to do this type of stuff, it takes mature Christians. Perfect men. Perfect men. We need maturing Christians laboring in their own churches to do this. 
The perfect man is involved in discipleship. Number two, the perfect man is established in doctrine. Look at verse 14. It says here, that we henceforth be no more children. Isn't that interesting? The word children is used there. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lay, they lie, should I say, in wait to deceive. You know, imperfect men are easily deceived. I want you to listen with me this morning because you think, oh, I'm sitting in a Baptist church, I'm not deceived. No, don't, don't go down that road. It's not a wise road. I want you to listen very carefully. Imperfect men get caught up with, with the newest fad. I've seen it. I mean, people who have their, who are, I'm a Baptist, getting caught, caught up with the newest fad. The new idea is like a new diet. It's untested, it promises great things, but it's untested. And immature Christians fall into extreme positions. You with me here? They can be too strict, or they can be too lax. Moderation is missing from their lives. They listen to self-inflated false prophets who make promises they can fulfill. They cannot fulfill. I'm missing the not there. They cannot fulfill because these so-called men of God appeal to covetousness rather than to physical, real needs that they may have. They're deceived by cunning, crafty liars who lie in wait, gambling for their souls. That's what the word idea is, the idea of, of, of the wording there. They're, they're like gamblers. They're gambling over your soul. Cunning, crafty men whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Imperfect men, now listen to me this morning, imperfect men think doctrine doesn't matter. Some people say, oh, I just want you to love Jesus, doctrine doesn't matter. That's a very immature thing to say. Because saying doctrine doesn't matter, is doct what doctrine? It comes from the Greek word didaskos, or just didak, didak, which means teaching. You're saying teaching doesn't matter. Of course, you never say teaching doesn't matter. Doctrine is teaching. Teaching really does matter. Doctrine really does matter. A missionary friend of mine uh, told me of a lady who would come to his church, and, and this is really interesting, I hadn't seen this before, but he saw it. She'd come for the singing, she'd come for the fellowship. And when it came for preaching, she'd excuse herself and she'd go shopping and come back at the end for the fellowship. I thought, that's interesting. There was a lady who wasn't interested in, in the teaching. And you know, she said, well, the reason why I'm not coming is my son is ADHD and uh, all the H's and D's after all that. And uh, she said, he can't sit through preaching. That boy sat through men's camp and enjoyed every session. It was just an excuse. I don't know what sort of a salvation this lady has, but I want to tell you something. If you're a Christian, you want a teaching. Can you hear any man for that? You want the word of God? You want the word of God? Every believer is called to grow to maturity. It's not for a select few. I shared a verse in Sunday school class about, about being zealous for good works. But every Christian should want to grow to maturity. Please go in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Keep Ephesians 4 open. Hebrews chapter 5 in your Bibles. Every Christian should want to grow. I mean, when I was a kid... And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, and I was say like 12, 13, 14, I had a mark in my sitting room. I had a pen mark on the wall. Because I'd measure my height. 
I go there every week to see if I've grown. Are you with me here? Hans and Pumas like that. I'm just curious. Okay, my family. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. We've got all the people like there who feel the same way. You're checking your height because you want to know you're growing. But listen, if you're born again, you should want to grow spiritually. Amen? There should be a desire to grow, and there should be a gauge in which you can gauge yourself. You know, that gauge for measuring my height with a pen mark on the wall, which my dad probably never saw, and would have killed me. But the point is that, uh, but I wanted to know how he's doing there, and there needs to be a gauge. Ephesians, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 5, we're looking at verse 11. Paul, I believe, wrote the book of Hebrews. He says, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered. Seeing you're dull of hearing. He's one of these Hebrew Christians and he's saying, you're, you're dull of hearing, you're not listening. For when, for the first, ye, for the, sorry, for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. I mean, you should be the Sunday school teachers and be sitting in children's Sunday school class, is basically what he's saying. Which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as need of milk and not strong meat. You can't handle the steak. That's basically what he's saying. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You just need to hear the basic doctrines. You're just a babe, he's what he's saying. But strongly, when you get into the word of God, you study the word of God, and you grow in the word of God, you're teaching the word of God, and you're trying to understand difficult doctrines, strong meat belongs to them that are full age. Even those who by reason of use have excellent. Sense, their senses exercise to discern both good and evil. And you can figure it between good and evil because you're looking for the truth. Brethren, you can't keep hearing messages about salvation and steps to grow. You've got to get past that. And I understand the Sunday morning, you know, I've got to preach salvation on Sunday morning. I've got to preach that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins. And you need to repent and put your faith in him. I need to preach out on the Sunday morning because that's what you do on the Sunday morning. I've got to have steps to grow on the Sunday morning. But we have something called Sunday school. I'm not going to be talking about that in Sunday school class. We have a Wednesday night Bible study. I'm not going to be talking about that in Wednesday night Bible study. That's when we get into the meat. We get into the study. It's not that we can't get into meat on Sunday morning, but the point is, the disciples come on a Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. A disciples come for Sunday school class because you want to grow. You desire to grow. You're hungry for the Word of God, and you're hungry for the growth because that you can't just keep hearing messages on salvation. You've got to go deeper, and you must hear deeper messages about how to grow deeply in your faith. They're based on the timeless truths of the Word of God. We don't need, we don't need this, oh, I just found this, nobody's heard this before. Let me tell you a secret that nobody knows. If people start saying that to you, that, they're going to come back with heresy. Would you agree with that? I want to remind you stuff you already know. We just need to do it. And I'm speaking for myself as well. Brethren, every perfect man pursues the truth. We're back in verse 15 of our text, Ephesians 4, verse 15. Every perfect man pers per per uh, he pursues the truth. Look at verse 15. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth. Every perfect man wants to know the truth. Okay, but what's the truth? I want to know the truth. We don't align ourselves with Pilate. 
Who asked Jesus what is truth? We want the truth. We align ourselves with Christ, who said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If people ask what religion we are, we tell them the truth. It's not good enough to say I'm a Christian. What sort of a Christian? Is that a Catholic Christian? Is it a Jehovah's Witness Christian? Is it a Mormon Christian? You've got to say more. We have to tell them I'm born again. I'm born again. Now, saying uh, we're born again is important, but you've got to go beyond that. We're Baptists. Why do I go to a Baptist church? Because saying we're Baptists distinguishes us from those who say they speak in tongues. I don't speak in tongues. I try to speak a little bit of Irish, but that's about as far as it goes. I've heard many people speak gibberish and call it real, lang real languages. Uh, sorry, let me reword this. I've heard many people speak in gibberish and call it tongues. And I've been in meetings and I've had people pray over me and speak gibberish. They just make up the stuff. Honestly, they don't know what they're saying. Nobody knows what they're saying. But as I read my Bible in Acts chapter 2, when they spoke in tongues, they spoke in real languages and they named the languages. That's the truth. That's the truth. Saying we're Baptist distinguishes us from those who name and claim it. Wouldn't it be great to name and claim this building? Gosh, while we're at it, might as well claim the whole business park. It's called Hills Industrial Estate. Les Hill ought to own it, right? <laughs> I mean, give me a break. No, it didn't give me a break. I don't want a break. We don't believe that putting a certain amount of money in the offering plate, you know, some people are thinking, if I put this amount of money in God, you're going to make it a hundredfold and they're going to give me and multiply it by a hundred? God doesn't have to do that. He's not our servant. And we don't need to be covetous. Because when I read my Bible, it doesn't teach me to be covetous. And those who are all about the name it and claim it when it comes to money are covetous. And it's all about money. That's all they think about because they're greedy people. And they're not, their names are not written in heaven. I'm just telling you. Because no covetous people should enter the kingdom of God. That's hard to hear, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you the truth. Because people like to be lied to. That's why doctrine is important. Got to know the truth. Saying we're Baptists requires us to be true to this book. Because folks, I will live and die by this book. This is the truth. And it doesn't matter what any religious person says, or what any person from your denomination says in the past, or whatever person from any person from your culture says, or any person from your family says, this is the truth. Let God be true in every man. <laughs> Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, and he was saying, I'm telling you the truth. Amen, amen. This is the truth. Giving us to ourselves the truth means we have to take doctrine seriously. Brethren, and that's what I'm telling you, we have to take what this book says seriously. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we grow in maturity, it requires us to seek after truth, but it also requires us to love everyone that God brings our way. It says here in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. I know I can stand up here and I can speak passionately about something. But if we don't love people, there's no point in us doing it. Because if we try to speak truth without kindness and care and love, nobody wants to hear it. Would you agree with that? 
But even if it's not said the right way, it's still the truth. It just would be a whole lot better if it's in a kinder way. When we pursue the truth, then it must be done from a right heart. Look at Titus chapter 1. We're looking at this some more. We're digging into this a little bit more. Titus chapter 1 in your Bibles, please. Timothy, Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter 1. Brethren, I look at this. When I look at doctrine, the more I study doctrine, when you're in, 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 in Bible school at the beginning, you study a doctrine, and you say, ah, yeah, this, this all makes sense. This fits in perfectly. But when you start studying doctrine in a deeper way, it is a tightrope. Studying the Bible is a tightrope because it's so easy to fall one side or the other and fall into extreme or error. You with me here this morning? We've got to navigate it properly. And I'm going to share with you from the scriptures how to do that. From Titus chapter 1 this morning, I find this very, very helpful. Look at verse 9. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding fast, being glued to the faithful word, as he had taught that, sorry, as he has been taught, we're talking about Titus being told, the people you're training for ministry, you need to hold fast to the word of God, as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, so there's doctrine there, you have, have sound doctrine, but to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So to avoid deception, you've got to be glued to the truth. I just want to know the truth. That's going to help you. It's going to help you so much when people try to deceive you. But what does the Bible say? What's the whole spirit? Don't take a verse out of context. Anyone can take a verse out of that, out of the Bible, and take it completely out of context and tell you any sort of stuff. What's the whole book say? What's the Bible say? What's the message? To avoid deception, be glued to the truth. But the best way to avoid error is to expose it. Look at verse 10. It says here, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the Jews of circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, Paul said, stop their mouths, who subvert or turn upside down whole houses, teaching the things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. What's filthy lucre? Money. Isn't that what the name of Clement is all about? Putting money in your pocket, lying to you. And that's why they do it. They're taking your money to deceive you. Filthy lucre's sake. Why are they doing it? Because they're covetous. They're doing it because they want your money in their bank account. They're liars. This is no new thing, brethren. It's been happening for centuries, for millennia. But brethren, the spiritually lazy fall into error. Look at verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Christians are always liars. Evil beasts, slow bellies. The word slow bellies means they're unemployed. They don't want to work. They just want to sit at home and philosophize about it. Do you, know, do you know the smartest people I've ever met in my life? Or at least the people that think they're the smartest? They don't work. They sit at home and philosophize all day. And they tell you how smart they are. And you know, you, I've heard this before. You can't reason with them. They're too smart. You can't reason with them. They have no interest in hearing what you have to say. And it's been like that in the Bible. Thankfully, there's not too many people like that out there. They're there. They're slow bellies. Verse 13, this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. They're spiritually lazy and they fall into error. But brethren, this is very, very helpful. I hope this helps you. It has helped me to be able to express and help me to, to, to get this. I hope it helps you. 
Those who ignore their conscience fall into error. So we're going to reverse this in a minute. Those who ignore their conscience fall into error. Look at verse 14. Not giving heed to Jewish fables, to uh, stories, myths, basically, and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Here's the question. How can some pursue and enjoy worldliness that they used to preach against? I used to hear people, I've seen, over time, I've seen people change. Brethren, would be so much better to be a whole lot, take a lot longer time to change and make sure we know our change is coming from the Bible. Would you agree with that? I see people change. Sometimes, and they're enjoying worldliness, become very worldly. They used to preach against it. What's going on here? How can some fall into doctrinal error that they used to speak against? I've seen that too. Oh, we never do that. They preach against it, they speak against it. A few years later, dude, they're doing and preaching the opposite. How do some greatly emphasize minute points of the law? This obscure verse that hardly anybody's ever read in the Bible, and they make a whole doctrine out of it, they live their whole lives by it. And they criticize and condemn those who have a slightly different perspective on it. And they separate themselves from those people. How can they do that? And yet no one sees the difference between what they believe, between this person and that person, only themselves. Because they're so caught up in this minute little detail of the law. How can they do these things? How do some emphasize the external while de-emphasizing the internal? If people want to emphasize the external and be very strict in their life, go for it. But make sure it begins in here. Can I hear an amen for that? Because if it's on the outside, it's not on the inside. That's called hypocrisy. But these people who emphasize the external and de-emphasize the internal, they teach for commandments, the doctrines of men, they strain at a gnat, and they swallow a camel, and in their effort to keep the letter of the law, they break the spirit of the law. Because brethren, I love what David said, teach me the way of thy commandments. Brethren, there is a way that God's word is to be fulfilled. It's not about the letter of the law. It's the heartbeat behind the law. Because God is not after your salute. He's after your heart. He wants you. He wants your heart. Oh, how can people fall into these errors I've just talked about? I'll tell you how. They've forsaken their conscience. Look at verse 15. Unto the pure, all things are pure. We discussed that as a family. As a family we, we all came to the same conclusion. The spirit of that is... If your motive is pure, you're considering other people's motives are pure. You're not looking for them to be impure in their motives. You're not looking to jump on people and be critical of other people and, and all that type of stuff. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their minds and conscience is defiled. And that's the key. Brethren, the key to walking the straight and narrow and not falling into one error either side is living by your conscience. God has given you a conscience. He just wants you to live by it. It's always going to be instructed by the word of God. I think we all understand that. But we need to live by the conscience God gives you. If you keep your conscience pure before God, it's a whole lot harder to fall into error. 
In fact, I've seen people, I was around people who are doctrinally deviant to what I believe. They believe a different doctrine. I say, I can't agree with what they believe. But honestly, when I look at them, I think some of these people are living by their consciences. And do you know what I think? Eventually, the more we live by our consciences, we're going to agree on more and more and more. Because when you live by your conscience, the Spirit of God can lead you according to His Word. Does that make sense? Live by your conscience. If you keep your conscience before, pure before God, it's a whole lot harder to fall into error. Your conscience brings you back to the straight and narrow. When you begin to stray. Brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning, you are going to stray. Every one of us strays. It's called being human. But what brings you back when you stray? The believer who takes great care of his conscience is going to mature in Christ and in his doctrine. And that's the person who's going to become a perfect man. The one who lives by his conscience. Number one, the perfect man is established in discipleship. Number two, he's established in doctrine. And very briefly, we're looking back at Ephesians chapter 4. The perfect man is intent on dedication. He is involved in discipleship, established in doctrine, intent on on dedication. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. That speaks to me of involvement, doesn't it? Everybody's involved. And compacted by that which every joint supplies, everyone involved. According to the effectual working of the measure of every part, everyone involved. Make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Brethren, the perfect man wants to see the church unified and working together. Let's all be involved. Let's all go. Let's all do it. A, a functioning church is like a jigsaw puzzle that's put together. And every piece just fits in perfectly. It's like, this is it. A properly functioning church is like a well-oiled machine. I remember after Jen Stabs went home to be with the Lord, the ministries of the church continued the church continued to grow. The church continued with their building project and they completed the building project debt-free. The church continued to go soul winning. More people were being baptized. People were being added to the church. The church continued to grow. It was acting like a well-oiled machine. The pastor had been, went home to be Jesus. As called unity, working together, team effort. We saw that a lot with Gospel Baptist Church while we were away for those four months, the first four months. The men stood up and they taught on Wednesday night. Wasn't that a blessing? People working together. Soul winning happened on a Saturday. We had a Christmas program. The church working together. That's the way it's meant to be. When the perfect man is involved in discipleship and establishing doctrine, he plays a massive role in helping others to jump on. I'm reading through the book of Titus for my personal Bible time, and chapter 2 deals with the roles of individuals. The older men, older women, the younger men, younger women. The younger ought to be zealous, godly, good examples, but the older ought to be teachers of the younger. You know, those of us who have sciatic issues, pains in your joints when you have your cup of coffee, get older. I didn't have a great time playing football, but 
I paid for it the next day. Jenny was not laughing at me. We played, we, we, it was five sides instead of six of five. I, I'm always getting football illustrations. I know, very good me. You're just going to have to put up with me. But anyway, so it's, it's, it's called old man syndrome when I use the same illustrations. But I was playing football the other day, and yeah, I mean, it was, instead of six of a side, it was five a side. So we had to do more running. I was having a great time. I got home. I got the crap of my life. <laughs> my face went white. I could feel it. It wouldn't go away. And I had to drink a whole bottle of coconut water and I'd get ibuprofen and all that type of stuff. <laughs> Jenny was laughing. I was crying. Anyway, I found my way into bed and I said, hopefully I won't get a crap on my foot because that's the place where I get bitten. Oh, I had to jump out of bed again and crap on my foot. I feel like I'm getting a bit older. <laughs> but you know what? The older people's job. I'm not the only person getting older. Yeah. And so, oh, listen to me. No, we joke. The more joke, I'm, I'm totally taking that back again. Gone, I didn't say that at all. I'm getting older. But the older people's job is to help the younger people to grow and love Jesus Christ. Am I right? Or am I wrong? It's true. But if the older don't, can, they cannot. The older people sort of want to be influenced on the, on the younger people, but how can you if you don't take your own spiritual life seriously? What have you got to offer our young people who are here at every, for every service, who tithe, who are involved in ministry? What have you got to offer them? I'm challenging you, older people, grow and give them your life investment. Invest in their life and tell them it's worth it. Don't ever give up. Marry right. Honor God. Keep serving. Support your church. Honor the Lord. When you stand before the Lord someday, you pray for those words, well, don't that good and faithful serve. I want the older people to teach the younger people that stuff. We don't want the younger people teaching the older people that stuff, because that's, that's role reversal. Would you agree to that? Brethren, we need to have a body that's maturing to perfection. We need perfect men, perfect women. For the body to work effectively, each individual member must unite effectively under the leadership of the head. Who's the head? And it's not me. It's Christ. For there to be growth whereby each edifies the other in love, believers need to be maturing by being involved in discipleship, establishing doctrine, intent on dedication. It's all about the cause. Everyone in this room has a cause. Everyone does. Everyone does. What's yours? What's your cause? For the perfect man, his cause is Christ. And I think we've seen this morning what that looks like, haven't we? We've seen it from the Bible. Today we spoke about the perfect man, and I asked a question this morning, are you a perfect man? We're not talking about sinless, we'll prove all sin. That's not all we're talking about. We're talking about the mature person who's involved in what we talk about this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, can we?